This episode is brought to you by Roundtable Group, the experts on experts. We've been connecting attorneys with experts for over 25 years. Find out more at roundtablegroup.com. Welcome to Discussions at Roundtable, where we connect with our experts and discuss their experience as expert witnesses. I'm your host, Michelle Lux, and my lovely guest today is Dr. Jolie Brahms. She's a clinical and forensic psychologist and is qualified to testify in multiple state, federal, and military courts. I asked you to consider the question, what do you wish you knew the first time you were an expert witness? I believe that we come across as experts wanting to be experts, and it's important that we are experts. The most important issue, I think, is simplification. When you get to many issues, and I work in the psychology world, I do criminal work, I do a great deal of civil work. But what juries need to know and attorneys need to know is that many times cases are much less complex than they think that they are. We look at complexity, but my job as your forensic expert is to not only reduce that complexity for you as the attorney, but to reduce that complexity for a jury or a trier of fact, either through a report or through testimony. And what, what I believe triers of fact need to understand, whether again, it's a number of people or if it's just a judge or it could be a mediator, whoever that may be, is to take those issues and put them into terms that people are not intimidated by, that people can relate to those issues in their own life. Um, for example, I just before speaking with you, I'm working at a case where a gentleman was accused of sexually assaulting a woman. They were friends, they met at a bar. That seems that you have a victim statement and it's a civil suit and you have his statement, but the issues are more complex because life is not a snapshot. What happened at that point in time is not the whole story. It's the people before it. It's their perceptions of that relationship, what psychological damage or lack thereof they may have had before that incident, what their motivations may be. So my job is to take this volume of information and put it in psycholegal terms. Obviously, I have to answer questions that the court wants to hear. The, most psychologists can write a psychological report, Michelle, but what they have a harder time doing is addressing the psycholegal issues to address the issues that the law is allowed to answer. And that's the difference between a forensic psychologist such as myself and just a psychologist you might find wherever. Interesting. Now you do criminal and civil lawsuits, and I know that you had a pretty big case too um, that you had mentioned in your biography where, you know, you were able to get a, a life sentence versus death penalty, I believe, for yes. one of the cases. And that probably was one of your original cases that you worked on, correct? Yes. What started in this field for me is I was trained as a pediatric psychologist. I've been doing this for 40 years. Um, I'd like to say I look better than than my age would say, but I've been doing this for a long time. And I have this very strong background in development. Now, why is that important? Because whether you look at a, at a plaintiff, um, a complainant, or whether you look at somebody in a criminal action, and obviously there's a relationship. People are not just a still photograph of who they were. People are static, people are changing, and people have life histories. And in order to understand where a person is at a place in time, whether it's civil case or a criminal case, they're the same issues, is that you cannot be formulaic. A lot of psychological work is formulaic and it doesn't help anyone. It's what was that person's eye contact? What is their age? Whatever. That doesn't tell you the core issues about 
a person's prognosis in a civil case, um, about the um, etiology of what happened to start a civil case. So we have to look at the totality of the situation. So as I developed as a psychologist, and one of the questions you had asked me is, you know, how did you get to this point in time, is I started getting a true sense of justice working with kids. Um, I wanted to be a child psychologist, and I was. I had a large clinical practice for probably 30, 25, 30 years. And what I learned is the importance of rights, plaintiff's rights, defendant's rights, um, um, both in civil cases and, and criminal cases. And then, as you stated on my biography, in the early 1990s, there was a death penalty case with a young man who was 18, and he executed his best friend, his best friend's mother, his best friend's grandmother. I knew nothing about death penalty mitigation. I was just learning about civil procedure. But we, we won that case, if you consider life in prison to be winning. And from that time, I understood what an expert needs to offer. And an expert has to give of themselves. You, you can't be, you know, you can't be, you have to have boundaries, but you also have to be involved in intellectually and to some degree emotionally in a case. You have to understand that you're doing it not just for that client, whether it's a defense attorney in a civil case or a plaintiff's attorney or whomever court appointed, you have to do it for justice because everybody deserves to be heard. And I will always be honest with whoever hires me. I will tell you my opinion. And my opinion will not just be based upon what I think, but upon my experience, what I know about human nature, what I know about the law, and give the attorney who works with me something really concrete to think about. Ways that he and I, she and I can think about this case and strategize and make the end of this matter be successful in every way possible. Yeah. Well, one of the questions I had is that you did mention, you know, when you first get introduced to the matter, a lot of experts will have a preliminary interview with attorneys. Do I you... always do. Yes. Yeah, so yes. I was going to say, always. how does that usually go? And like, how do you, for instance, in the initial interview, do you give away everything in that first interview with the attorney or what's the best example of to get that relationship moving forward? Okay. Well, first of all, anybody who believes that you're giving it all away in a first interview does not know how to do a case. You can't give everything away. You can be a colleague. And even if you're not hired, you can give people advice such as, I believe you need this type of expert and not me, or have you read this book, or have you considered this diagnosis, whatever. And I will always do that because we're all colleagues. Not everything here is just to, in quotes, get a case. Right. But it would be foolish to state that I can tell somebody how to win a case without knowing what the matter is. Now, I will give people advice. Um, okay, I mean, I could give you, I give you one example. You know, I have, a, I have an attorney who contacted me recently in the last week, and he does not know where to go with the civil case. And it, it's a case of a young child who allegedly was abused in a preschool setting. Okay, so the issues for him, he doesn't really understand the developmental issues, is how much can a four-year-old be damaged? Where do we get records for that child? Where do we know what that family is like? How do we look at the discovery? How can he consider this case as a whole? So am I giving away things? No, I'm speaking to a colleague about if you hire me, these are the things we're going to need. He asked me, why do I need the child's pediatric records? Well, I'm not worried if the child has a cold, okay, particularly. What I want to see is were the parents attentive? 
Um, were they were they malingering? Did they exaggerate? Um, did this child have behavioral problems prior to this incident happening? How was that medical care? You know, and so people see things sometimes simplistically. But that first phone call is key. Because in that phone call, I also get a sense of whether that attorney, what their motivations are and what they would be like to work with and whether we can work together. Now, you know, Michelle, I'd like to think I can work with most people, but it's, but it's very important to understand that their questions make sense. And there are attorneys who call with questions that cannot make psycholegal sense. And they want an answer which is not adherent to what a psychologist can do for them. So yes, those initial conversations save a great deal of pain, a great deal of time. Um, it's important for you all that I can come back to you and say, this person needs X, Y, or Z and not me. Here are some of the issues. Now, do you bill for that initial interview or is it one of those things where it's a 10 minute conversation to see if that relationship moves forward for you know, a contract? Well, you know, I do a lot of high level work and it's very important that I understand the parameters of every case. I do not bill for that initial contact. I consider that to be a professional investment in many ways. It's a professional investment because even if that case does not work out, that person, because of my friendliness and my collegial attitude and my interest in what they're doing, it might be two years later, but I will get a call back or I'll get a call back from one of their colleagues. It's guaranteed. They sure. will never forget that somebody did not, did not act in a way that this was a brief phone call. I also do it for self-protection in a way. I want to know what, what is going on with this case. I want to know who the funding sources are. I want to know the cooperation of the attorney, um, all of those things. And I want to make certain things clear. Um, I have an attorney in a small town and he doesn't, in quotes, believe in email. So he tries to send everything by snail mail, which doesn't work. He doesn't know how to get his voicemail to work on his phone. Okay, so I am very genteel and very gentle and very professional, but I'll say, you know, here's how you get your voicemail to work, because if you want to work with me, we have to communicate about this case. Sounds very simple, but I wanted to know he's a, he's a lovely man, but he's a 78-year-old a, a attorney and he wants to do a good job, but we have to learn how to work together. It sounds like a silly example, but it's how you start to form a relationship. Absolutely. Well, I was going to kind of evolve that into then the contract. Have you learned over time to add special terms to kind of protect your work boundary or crossing lines as far as how much time you can give to um, the case in a way that that things are known up front? As you know, Michelle, I don't just have contracts with Roundtable. You all do a wonderful job of protecting your experts and you all do a wonderful job of helping your clients. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, I've been incredibly impressed because I've worked with other consulting agencies and you guys are wonderful. But as myself, you know, many times the people I know, I work on a handshake. I will send them a budget. So we send them a clear budget. So for example, if it's a civil case, they'll tell me, well, you know, the case that I had that I had with you all had probably 30,000 pages of records, okay, easily. Um, I will give an estimate for reading the records, for consulting with the attorney, and then I go on from there. I say, look, I'm going to look at the records. I'm going to talk to you. Then we'll go to step number two and say, do I evaluate the clients? Do I travel there? What do I do? Ahead of time, I tell them my hourly rate. And I think most attorneys don't call you every five minutes. I am not going to charge for a five-minute phone call. That's just not how I operate. The way that I've been successful for 40 years, I have had as, as I don't advertise. I have I've 
advertised maybe 25 years ago, we have more clients than we could ever, more attorneys calling us than you could possibly believe based on what I call authentic marketing. And authentic marketing is what you have to do. Ads don't count. Um, you know, giving freebies to people don't, doesn't count. What counts is what we talked about, is having conversations with people and doing stellar work. Being involved, it's not so much do you charge, it's what you, this is very important. It's not do you charge, it's what do you charge for. What I charge for is excellence. That's what I charge for. Every expert has to charge for excellence. It's not the five-minute phone call. It's the report that blows the, the case out of the water. That is what does it. And so, no. Now, if an attorney wants to call me for an hour, yes, of course I will bill for that. But if they're calling me to say, I need to send you this, where's your office manager? I'm not billing for those, those things. I don't think that's how the world should work. And I don't think that's how you resolve cases. I think you do it from a mutually beneficial reciprocal relationship. And that's what you have to develop. And that's being authentic. Well, those are definitely wise words to end with. Thank you, Dr. Brahms, for joining me today. It's a pleasure. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Discussions at Roundtable. Our show notes are available on our website, roundtablegroup.com. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening apps.